Well, we are uh, wrapping up today our series on uh, questions. Hopefully, hopefully it's been uh, helpful to you. And uh, we've, you know, over the last couple of weeks, just been looking at those difficult questions. Just to give you a heads up, starting next week, we start a new series called Unleashed. Uh, Unleashed. We're going to talk about just unleashing the word in your life, unleashing the power of Jesus' name in your life. And uh, hope you'll be here for that. But for today, we finish up with, uh, with questions. And the questions we're going to look at today are um, interesting questions because um, they're questions that apply not simply to those who may be far away from God, who are questioning or doubting God or just haven't really got to that place in their life where they're ready to say, okay, I, I'm, I'm ready to surrender to Christ. Uh, but these are questions that, um, well, sold-out Christ followers experience as well. You know, that there's just seasons in our life where where we get challenges. And, and these are questions, I think, that are kind of across-the-board questions, whether you're you know not sure about Christ yet uh, or whether you're a, a follower, okay? Um, and I think you'll recognize them as we, as we get into them. And so, like this first one here, why does God sometimes seem so distant? Why does he seem so silent or, or so slow to, response, to respond? Are you familiar with this question? You probably are. You know, I mean, it's a question that God's people have had before. We can see it in Psalm 22 as the psalmist kind of captures that same kind of feeling. He says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. Is this guy asking that question? Absolutely, right? I mean, he is in a season of struggle in his life, and he just has this, this sense and this feeling that, you know, God, why, why do you seem so distant, or why do you seem so silent, or why do you seem so slow to respond? Um, it's not just the psalmist, but we can go to the book of Job, and you may know this, the situation of Job where, you know, his life was really good for a while and then really not so good for a while. And uh, in Job 23, we get Job kind of echoing the same sense, right? And Job says, Behold, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. It's kind of interesting. If you listen to Job, he, he has this underlying sense that, that God is working, but his problem is God seems distant. That is, that, that God, he just can't see God, right? You, you look over and over, he says, I, I do not behold him, but I just don't see him, right? He just, over and over, I, I just can't get it. I can't see God working in our life. And um, he comes away then with, with that, that question, but also that confidence that underlines, listen, when it's all done, it's going to be for my good. And, and that really is the challenge of this question, is where do we come out? Not just asking the question, but, but where do we come out with the question? Let me take you to uh, Ecclesiastes 3 and, and start understanding what lies behind uh, this question, okay? It seems we ask this question and, and we have this sense of feeling about this question in our life, especially if we're a Christ follower, because so often we, we are really questioning the timing and the purpose of what's happening in our life. That is, that something happens in our life and we feel like God is, is so distant or God is slow to respond or God is silent in our lives. And, and why do we feel that way? Well, often we feel that way 
simply because God's not doing what we want him to do at the time we want him to do it. Wouldn't you say that's accurate? I mean, you know, something's going on in our life, and, and we're in a season of struggle, and, and, and so we turn to God, of course, and God seems silent or slow or distant. And why is that? Well, because we're turning to God and saying, listen, God, I, I need you to do this, and, and I need you to do it now. And, and we want God to respond, but we want God to respond on our timetable according to our purpose of what we want. The trouble is, like in Ecclesiastes 3, it says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. Not our time. Its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. You see, that's the challenge for us. Is So often we have this season of doubt or questioning and saying, where, where are you, God? Because we just want God to work our way on our time schedule and that's not the way God works. God works according to his purpose. And he works according to his own time frame and his own time schedule. Let me give you a classic example of that. And you're probably familiar with this story if you're, uh, if you're already you know, a student of the word and been following Christ. It's the experience when Jesus raises his good friend Lazarus, right? You remember the story of Lazarus, right? Lazarus gets sick, he dies, Jesus gets involved, raises him up. But let's spend a little time in the story and try to see what we can see. Ready? So there's a man named Lazarus, and he's sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is, uh, this is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on Lord's feet, wiped their hands with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now, notice the message that Mary and Martha send to Jesus. They say, Jesus, your dear friend, the one you love, the one you care about, he's very sick. Now, what is the unwritten and unspoken expectation of that news? Lord, if you really care about him, if you're really his friend, if you really love Lazarus, you will... Come right now, and you will heal him. Isn't that the underlying expectation? Lord, listen, your dear friend's sick, so you better get yourself over here quick, and you got to lay your hands on him, and you got to heal him. The expectation for Mary and for Martha is all they got to do is tell Jesus, and Jesus will drop everything, and he will come and do exactly what they want, and he'll do it immediately when they want him to do it. Isn't that correct? Here's the problem. The problem is Jesus receives the news, and he says Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for, for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, no question about his commitment to him, no question about his love for them, right? Although he loved them, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And finally he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. What is Jesus doing? Why is Jesus not responding like Mary and Martha expect him to respond? Why is he not just dropping everything and saying, Oh my gosh, my good friend Lazarus is sick. I better get over there right away and, and, and put my hands on this guy and get him well. Why is he not doing that? Because Jesus sees a different purpose and a different time frame. Do you see it in the text? He says, Wait a minute. This, this isn't about Lazarus dying. This is about 
glory for God. And there's no need for me to run over there right away. There's a different time frame at work here to make sure God gets glory. There's the problem. You see, the problem for us is Mary and Martha. Can you imagine what Mary and Martha are saying for those two days that Jesus is sitting around waiting? Can you imagine what's going on in their house? Where is this guy? Didn't he get the message? Doesn't he care? I mean, come on. I thought he loved us. If he loved us, certainly he would get off his duff and get over here and he would do what we want him to do and get my brother well. Aren't they asking the question, why is Jesus distant? Why is he so slow? Why does he seem silent to our request? And the answer, <laughs> because he's operating on a different time frame for a different purpose. When Jesus finally does show up, Mary and Martha are still in their time frame and still in their purpose. Okay? Jesus shows up. Martha goes to greet Jesus. And in verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you feel that the stick just kind of sliding right in between the blades back here? Right, Lord, listen. If, if you'd have been here, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you would have responded to my desire on my time frame, according to my purposes, we wouldn't be in this situation. He gets the same thing from Mary. Mary finally comes to him, falls at his feet, says, Lord, if only, if only you'd been here, if only you'd responded when we called, if only if you'd done what we wanted, if you'd only done it according to our time frame, my brother would not have died. And even worse, even worse, the crowd says the same thing. Jesus goes to see where Lazarus is, and he's weeping, and what's going on in the background? The people are standing nearby him, and they see how much he loved him. Yes, but then they said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Couldn't the guy have shown up on time? Couldn't the guy have shown up and done what we wanted him to do? And then we wouldn't be in this situation What's the question? Why was he so distant? Why was he so slow? Why didn't he respond the way I wanted on my time frame? Isn't that the question? You look at the text, and Jesus goes to the grave, and notice this strikes me in verse 38. It says, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. You ever think about why is he angry? Why is he angry? Well, I mean, I, I mean, so far he showed up, and what's everybody done? Stick it to him, right? He showed up, and so far all he's gotten from anybody is, you know, if you'd have been here, I'd be angry, wouldn't you? At the unbelief? Because they wanted on their time frame according to their purpose. So now he says, roll the stone aside. Martha steps in and says, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell is going to be terrible. She still is stuck in her time frame and her purpose. And then Jesus says the crux of the answer to the question. Here's the crux of the answer to the question. When you are feeling like God is distant, when you're feeling like he's slow, when you're feeling like he's silent and not responding, here's the question. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe. 
There's the question. There's the question. You see, what's in conflict here is Mary and Martha want Jesus to act in a certain way on their time frame. And Jesus wants to act for God's glory according to his time and his purpose. Now, here's what's really neat. What is it that Mary and Martha wanted Jesus to do? They wanted Jesus to come and just heal their brother Lazarus, correct? What did Jesus come to do and actually accomplish? Raise him from the dead. This is so great. What is it? They just want him to be healed. What does Jesus want? He wants a resurrection. Jesus had in mind to do far more than Mary and Martha could ever have expected. And if he would have followed their timeline, all we would have had is a nice little healing that he's done before. But because Jesus followed the Father's timeline and the Father's purpose, he did something more. This is incredible. When you're feeling that question, God, why do you seem so distant? Why are you so slow? Why do you seem so silent? Is it possible that God is operating on his own time according to his own purpose to do far more than what you're expecting and what you're even asking? Why is it we feel like God is distant? Well, we feel like God is distant because we concentrate on our feelings and not on his promises. Right? I mean, when you feel God is distant, it's, it's all about what you're, you're feeling, right? And, of course, here's the real question. Can you always trust your feelings? You know the answer to that one, right? Yeah, I mean, no, you can't, right? And yet, and yet what happens to us? When we get in that situation, we start asking that question. It's all about what we feel. It's all about what we feel. When in reality, God operates according to his own time, according to his own purpose, to do far more than we can imagine because he sticks to his promises. He sticks to his promises. You look at 2 Corinthians, it says, So we are always confident, regardless of our feelings, we are always confident, even though we know as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. We live by believing. In those times when this season comes on you and you start asking the question, you say, God, you seem so distant. You, you, you seem so slow and you seem, you seem so silent, God. It's a time to reflect back and say, wait a minute. Am I concentrating on my feelings or am I ready to concentrate on God's promises in my life? Did, did you notice in the experience with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, it was a given. It was a constant in the text that Jesus' love for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus never changed, right? That never changed. That never changed at all. You see, his promises are constant. We get into trouble with this question because we start focusing on our feelings and, and we get focused on what we want in our time frame. Or we get into problems and we start having these feelings that God is distant because we start pushing ourselves away from God. And the way we push ourselves away from God is by our own acts of disobedience. When we just do things contrary to what God wants in our life, we, we move ourselves away from Him, and we create this veil, this barrier between us and God. Look at John 14. Jesus says, All who love me will do what I say. 
My Father will love them and will come and make our home with each of them. Where is he going to be for those who love him and do what he wants? Right tight, pretty close, home, right? Notice the next verse. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything, remind you of everything that I have told you. You see, when we get disobedient, we create that distance ourselves. It's not that God has moved anywhere. He's already made his home. The trouble is we move out of the house. We move out of the house because we move in from obedience into disobedience. If you're starting to feel that God is distant or God is silent or God is slow in your life, then then you need to be able to step back and say, wait a minute, are there things in my life that I just haven't confessed? Are there things in my life that, 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 that I just need to get honest with and be able to just come to God and say, God, I am so wrong. I am so sorry. Forgive me for this. You see, that's what brings us back. That's what Jesus came to do, is to bring us back, to get us back where? To get us back on his time and his purpose. What's the answer? Why do we feel distant? Why does God seem so distant? He seems so distant because we just get stuck in our own time and our own purposes. That simple. Now, here's the problem. When we start feeling that, it also becomes an opportunity for us to fall into temptation. And uh, that's really the next question, is why is temptation so hard for us to resist and so easy for us to give in to, right? Anybody had this question before? Nobody's going to admit it, huh? Okay. All right. Well, that's okay. I will. Um, Anyway, here's what the Nelson Dictionary says about temptation. It says, it's an enticement or an invitation to sin with the implied promise of greater good to be derived from following the way of disobedience. What does that mean? Here's what it means. You fall into sin and temptation. It's so hard to resist and so easy to do because it always looks so good. Translation, it has always looked so good, right? It just does. It just always looks so good. And we get it on our head and we keep thinking about it. And we keep thinking about it. We keep telling ourselves, well, you know, you know, it's not that bad. And then we come up with rationalizations for it. And we begin to even fantasize about things. And we create a conviction that says, oh, it's not that bad. And you can see it in Genesis 3 with Eve when she took the apple. It says, the woman was convinced. She was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. What did she do? She just convinced herself it looked good and she just wanted it. See, we fall into temptation. It becomes so hard to resist and it becomes so easy to do because it looks so good. And we let our minds wander and create the opportunity and the justifications for us to do it. It's that simple. Not only that, we fall into temptation and it's so hard to resist and so easy to do because everybody else is doing it. Right? Everybody else is, is, is doing it. Right? Come on now. You remember this when you were a young person and you wanted to convince your mom or your dad that there was something that you ought to be able to do. And before it was all done, you gave them the profound argument that said, well, mom, dad, my good friend John does it. And, of course, mom or dad came back with the classic response that I believe parents still use. Correct me if I'm wrong, young parents. I believe they still use this in some form or fashion when they say, Well, if Johnny, 
jumped off the bridge. Right? They do still use that, right? In some form or fashion. Yeah, well, what, what's going on there? Well, we're trying to convince ourselves that it's okay because, well, everybody else is in the same boat. Everybody else has to deal with temptation. 1 Corinthians 10. The temptation in your life are no different from what others experience. The difference is God is faithful in your life, right? He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. We fall into temptation, and it becomes so easy and so hard to resist because not only does it look so good, but everybody else is doing it, and we figure, well, it's got to be okay. Or, ultimately, we give in to it because, you know what, there's just a force at work out there in the world that is just luring us and pushing us and rejoicing in the opportunity to make us fail. Uh, Peter describes it as a lion. He says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Why is it so hard to resist and so easy to fall into? Because there's somebody pushing. There's somebody pushing. It's just the way it is. Okay, you say, well, now what do we do with this? How, how do we resist it? We resist this by actually leading to the last question. The last question is, what if I just ignore what the Bible says? Answer, if you ignore, if you ignore what the Bible says, then God is going to seem distant, and you're going to be really easy prey, and you're going to fall into temptation. That's the answer. Well, what happens if I ignore the Bible? Well, if you ignore the Bible, then God is going to seem really distant to you because you can't focus on his promises, and instead you're going to focus on your wants and desires according to your time frame. And, and if you don't have the word active in your life, you're not going to have those promises and those strengths in your life to be able to resist the temptations. Do you remember when Jesus was in the wilderness, when he was baptized, he was driven out into the wilderness, he's out there 40 days, he's at his absolute weakest moment. The evil one comes to him and he tempts him three times, and three times Jesus responds with the same words to each temptation. You know what those words were? It is written. What's he doing? Claiming the word. He had the word in his heart. He's claiming the word. And he's saying, listen, this is a strong temptation, but it is written. You see, he maintained his relationship according to God's purpose and God's time in his life. He maintained his strength over and against temptation. Why? Because he was just centered in the word. Oh, you know what's coming next. You know what's coming next. What is Pastor going to say again? This is why you need to be in a small group around the Word. This is why you need to be in the core classes, because you got to stay in the Word. you got to stay in the Word. If you're going to be able to stay close to God, and if you're going to be able to withstand the temptations that we all face. you just got to stay in the Word. You know, Psalm 119 says, O Lord, I have longed for you, for your rescue, and your instructions are my delight. Let me live so I can praise you, and may your regulations help me. I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, for I have not forgotten your commands. What is keeping him close and keeping him on the right path? He is rejoicing in God's word, isn't he? He's rejoicing in God's word. This is the incredible gift to us. The gift to us is we can be word-centered people. We can have the Word, the Scriptures, active in our life. And if the Scriptures are active in our life, that, then we're going to be able to just trust God more and say, God, you know, I'd really like to have this happen on my time frame and according to my purpose, but you know what? 
Whatever you want, I'm going to trust your promises because I know you want more. And Lord, this is really tough for me right now. This is a really big temptation. It looks really good, and I could rationalize all kinds of reasons why I ought to do it. But you know what? Your word says, and I'm going to trust your word more. See, what centers us, what encourages us, what strengthens us is simply that word. We'll end it this way. The psalmist says, how can a young person stay pure? Do we have any young people in the room? This was for you, but for everybody too. How can a young person stay pure? Just had my birthday. I still feel young. Uh, by obeying your word, I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. What is the key to this psalmist's life? He stays in God's purposes according to Todd's, God's time frame. He stays strong over and against temptation. And he's able to come to him in forgiveness and repentance. Why? Because he stays in the Word. He stays in the Word. stays in the Word. That's why next week we're going to talk to you about unleashing the Word in your life. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you today. We ask that uh, we could just uh, hear these questions that we've uh, struggled through in these weeks and that, that we could trust you more. Uh, that's the big word today, is just uh, that you've got something more in store. We don't always see it, just like Job. We don't always see your hand at work, but we, we just trust it's there. And, uh, Lord, we ask that you would look beyond our wants and our time frame, and instead you would just accomplish things according to what you desire in each of our lives. Help us to surrender completely. And in so doing, Lord, just fill us with the strength of your word, that, that resists temptation, that can endure and flee and run when we need to and just run right to your word. Lord, we ask for that strength, the same strength that Jesus, your dear son, displayed, the same strength that allowed him to go to the cross and to walk out of a tomb and to bring us life. But Lord, today we just surrender ourselves to your will and to your purposes, to your time frame and to your word. In Jesus' name.